6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 1 Peter, an introduction and chapter 1, part 1. Peter was one of the first disciples called, and he always stands first in any list of disciples. And... uh, He also is probably the subject of more jokes about entering heaven that have nothing to do with the Bible. When you get to heaven, Peter isn't at the gate to screen you through as all these silly little stories that we we hear. But but Peter is also one of the three who formed the inner circle around the Master, as I've just highlighted to you. And his impulsive devotion is so conspicuous and so colorful, it endears him to all of us. And again and again and again, it's Peter that seems to open his mouth just to change feet because he's often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And uh, yet his impulsive devotion is colorful and enjoyable. But he often acts as the spokesman for the Twelve. You can go through a whole list of references where it's Peter that seems to be the one that speaks up. So he seems to have a natural gift of leadership, at least in the, in the vocal sense. And... Uh, It's at that crisis at Caesarea Philippi that he actually isn't just speaking for himself. He's articulating for the whole band. For the question was directed to all of them. And uh, all are included in the look that that reprimand, subsequent reprimand has. Now the transfiguration which immediately follows is intimately related to that confession that precedes it. And... uh, The experience of the transfiguration made a very lasting impression on Peter, and he alludes to it again and again in his letters. So we want to be sensitive to that. Now, we all know the story of his denials. Jesus said that before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times, and three times are recorded in the Scripture, where he's confronted in the confusion following Gethsemane. Everybody's frightened and running. He's hanging around. And they recognize him. Three, three, different, three different incidents where he denies that he's a disciple. In fact, he even swears that he's not, finally, in Matthew 26, 74. I didn't bother digging out those scripts. I think that's well known enough to most of you. you may not realize that in denying him, he lost his discipleship. Not suggesting he lost his salvation. But he apparently lost his discipleship. Why do I say that? Well, when you get to Mark 16, and the resurrection has taken place, and they're at the empty tomb, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man, an angel apparently, sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. We always read this around Easter time, don't we? It's part of the resurrection story. But notice verse 7. This angel apparently says, But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. That's a strange phrase. 
tell his disciples and Peter. Doesn't the word disciples include Peter? Apparently not at that moment. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Peter is singled out for a special resurrection visibility, by the way. Now, he lost his discipleship when he denied, but he, he's going to get reinstated. The point I want to highlight as we go along here, discipleship can be lost. Salvation cannot be, because your salvation is 100% derives from Christ's completed work. But the rewards that are available to you for faithfulness can be forfeited by failure to be faithful. So discipleship can be lost, salvation cannot. Discipleship depends upon the faithfulness of the believer. No surprise? I want to underscore that as we go here. Let's look where he gets reinstated. You, go, you pop over to John 21. This is that morning that they're all up in Galilee. After the resurrection, he told them to wait up there. And they, they, they're take, they, they fish all night, can't catch anything. Jesus invites them to put their net on the other side of the boat. And of course, it's, they get plenty, and so he invites them to breakfast. So they come ashore. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time. When he did this the third time, if nothing else, it would sink into Simon. He's giving him three. He denied him three times. He's giving him three chances to, re to, to correct that. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus in, the third time then, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Very familiar reinstatement of Peter's discipleship. Not his, his, his salvation hasn't been lost. He, that, was, that was his discipleship. But then Jesus continues, says, Verily I say unto thee, when thou hast, wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying, by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. So he's reinstated. And so, son, Simon, son of Jonas, that was his natural name that Jesus uses. First time, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know I phileo you. Second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you agape me? And the second time, Peter says, you know, Lord, that I phileo you. Third time, Jesus meets him on his own ground. Son of Jonah, phileo of me, you know that I do, and so forth. It's interesting, much can be made of the different Greek verb here, agape being the most committed, uh, unconditional commitment kind of expression. Phileo being a, a, uh, an affectionate but lesser degree of commitment. 
Now, it's interesting to contrast Peter's rhetoric in the Gospels with his incredibly skillfully crafted sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. They're two ser- first and second sermon. First sermon was in Acts 2, second sermon was in Acts 3. When you study those sermons, and we won't take the time here, but it is astonishing to see how different, how skillful, how articulate, how crisp, how well organized those are. In contrast to these kind of bumbling, enthusiastic fishermen, the Holy Spirit, the difference being Holy Spirit given in Acts chapter 2. There's other parallelisms in Acts. The parallel between this letter, 1 Peter, and Peter's sermons recorded in Acts are very significant. Shouldn't surprise us. 1 Peter 1.20 is almost identical with Acts 2.23. 1 Peter 4.5 with Acts 10.42. But even more striking are the examples between 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, which we'll deal with in the future, and Acts 4.10-11. Because in each passage... Psalm 118, verse 22, is quoted and applied to Christ, the stone which the builders rejected, and so on. It's interesting that Peter was present when Christ himself used Psalm 118, verse 22, to refer to his rejection by the Jewish leaders. The, the the, The stone which the builders refused to become the headstone of the corner. Very famous familiar verse to you from Psalm 118, 22. Jesus applies it to himself, and Peter then uh, picks up on that. Peter is especially marked out at the message of the resurrection. Tell the disciples and Peter, see he's focused on, um, and personally receives a visitation of the risen Lord. In Luke 24 and also 1 Corinthians 15, there's a recap of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. And in each of those lists, there was a special appearance to Peter. We don't, it's not recorded other than that it happened. But Peter received a very special visit from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's ministry was to the circumcised. That confuses many people because in Acts chapter 10, it's Peter, it's through Peter that the door to the Gentiles was opened with Cornelius and all that going on in Acts 10. But that doesn't mean that it's Peter's job then to be the minister to the Gentiles. Paul is assigned that. I want to clear up that as we go. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes, verse 7, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, Paul is writing here, was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. In other words, Paul took the Gentiles, Peter took the Jew. That was their way they did, not exclusively, but that's their focus, okay? For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleships of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Paul writing here. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given unto me, Paul justifying himself, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go to the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So you need to understand that many people get confused in the New Testament. Paul felt that was his mandate. He wished it was the other way around. He he had a heart for the Jews, but his job, he understood, was to go to the Gentiles. Peter, in contrast, his primary mission is, of course, to the Jew. And that's important to understand because who, to whom is Peter writing this letter? You'll discover he's writing to Jewish, the Jews in the diaspora. 
every biblical doctrine in, in, in every biblical doctrine is exemplified in the life of Peter. The two natures, the, 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 the spirit and the flesh. The two births, born again, are going to, the, the, the change in Peter when he's born again. The old guy was Simon. That was the natural guy in all its carnality. The new guy is Peter, the rock. The, the old man, the new man. Old Simon, new Peter. The old man, Christian life, but mere salvation, discipleship, but still a carn, a carn, what we think of as a carnal Christian. In contrast to a spiritual life, eternal life, life abundant and un, un, uncontested. Now we're going to discover that in our lives there's inconsistencies. Are we surprised? Apparent contradictions in our own life. Same thing with Peter. All his life he remained both Simon and Peter. We war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world we can define and deal with. Satan you can resist and deal with. The flesh doesn't go away. We fight that battle to the end, to the death, at the, uh, to, our, to, our, to, to the end of our life, I should say. Now, before Pentecost, it's Peter who takes the lead in the community in Acts chapter 1 and so forth. He's the principal preacher. He's the spokesman before the Jewish authorities in chapter 4. Presiding in the administration of discipline in chapter 5. Ananias, Sapphira, and all that business. Though the church as a whole made a deep impression on the community, it was to Peter in particular that supernatural powers were attributed. So he has a very lead role in the early chapters of Acts. In Samaria, which follows after Jerusalem and Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. In Samaria, the church's first mission field is Samaria. The same leadership is exercised, chapter 8 and so forth. And, and also Philip. It's significant that the first apostle be associated with the Gentile mission and that unmistakably by providential means. He didn't open it. God opened the door to the Gentiles. He chose to do it through, through Peter. So it wouldn't look like Paul's contrivance. You follow me? Peter was the one that God used to open that door. Now this immediately brings criticism upon Peter. And not for the last time. Later on up at Antioch, that was the first church that had a significant Gentile or pagan element. He shared table fellowship with the Gentile converts, but when a bunch of Jewish Christians showed up, he withdraws and plays the role of a Jew. He had liberty in Christ when the Jews weren't around, but when the Jews showed up, he starts keeping the Torah and all that. And Paul calls him down for this. This was roundly denounced by Paul. Now, that, that does not mean there's any theological difference between them. Paul is criticizing his hypocrisy in terms of he has freedom in Christ, but he's denying it when his Jewish fr friends are around. And so it's the incompatibility of Peter's practice with his theory that Paul is calling him down for. That's all discussed in, in Galatians 2. And Peter will acknowledge all of this in his letter, by the way, that Paul, he, Paul, Peter will speak of Paul's letters as Scripture. I want to emphasize that because many Messianic Christians tend not to listen to Paul because they can't quite compute, doesn't quite meet some of their presuppositions.
No, Paul's letters are regarded by Peter as, gospel, uh, as, as Scripture. Anyway, moving on. Paul's gospel and Peter's had the same content, although they express it a little differently. There's no variance between um, the, uh, 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 Paul and Peter. And, uh, so, and the Gentile mission had no truer friend than Peter. They're not divided in their missions here at all. Peter's speeches in Acts and Mark's gospel and 1 Peter have the same theology of the cross rooted in the concept of Christ as the suffering servant. He was already with the right hand of fellowship, recognizing mission to the Jews and Paul's to the Gentiles as part of the same ministry. At Jerusalem, at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, Peter's recorded as the first to urge the full acceptance of Gentiles on faith alone. So Peter's not an anti-Gentile advocate, quite the contrary. He's a, he's a friend of the Gentiles. Peter's career after the death of Stephen is very hard to, re- to trace. There's all kinds of conjectures. There are references to him in Joppa, Caesarea, and elsewhere that seem to imply that he undertook missionary work in the Palestinian area. And uh, James, no doubt, has assumed the leadership in Jerusalem. There's no question about that because of Acts 15 and some other reasons. The early church fathers make that very clear. Peter was imprisoned in Jerusalem, and on his miraculous escape, he left for another place, as it's recorded in Acts. All kinds of scholars have all kinds of guesses but attempts to identify what the other place was are fruitless, inconclusive. We do know that he did go to Antioch because of Galatians 2. He also may have gone to Corinth, but he probably not for very long. He's closely associated with the Christians in North Asia Minor. And some even conjecture that Paul's prohibition in entering Bithynia was due to the fact that Peter may have been at work up there. But that's a conjecture. Peter's residence in Rome has been disputed, but not on sufficient grounds. First Peter was certainly written from Rome. First Peter 5 will deal with that. That book, First Peter, uh, shows signs of being written just before or during Nero's persecution. And a letter by First Clement 5 implies that, like Paul, he died in this outburst, but we don't know that for sure. There is an allusion in chapter 5 of the church at Babylon, and some people feel that was a code name for Rome. Not so. Babylon had a large Jewish constituency. That's where the Babylonian Talmud was, was penned itself. And it's, the, it's of the Talmudic documents, it's the authoritative one, not of Babylon. Not Rome. It's not a code name for Rome. It's Babylon. And uh, anyway, there's a story in a document called the Acts of Peter, that's a spurious uh, pseudonym thing, um, of his, uh, his martyrdom by crucifixion, head uh, upside down. That uh, cannot be accepted as a reliable document, but it is possible it may have pre- be preserving some valid traditions, but scholars are, are divided on that issue. The earliest statement about the origin of the Gospel of Mark is by Papias as the interpreter of Peter. This is recorded by Eusebius and also Irenaeus. What I'm getting at is here, the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel of the four, is widely regarded by competent scholars as to be uh, really the words of Peter, that Mark was like his secretary. Mark was not a direct observer of Christ. He's very young at the beginning, but he does, he's very active in the subsequent ministry. And... Uh, 
He had, there's lots of evidence that Mark was his amanuensis. He recorded for him. Very likely, the Gospel of Mark, where Mark's attempts to put in writing all that he learned traveling with Peter. So in a sense, it's regarded as Peter's Gospel. Okay. It's Mark's hand, but Peter's voice is one way to look at that. Okay. The nature of the incidents, the choice of the events, the matter that they're treated, all suggest that it's Peter's position that's being presented by young Mark. Well, okay, we've got the first Peter letter in front of us. has three major divisions. Christian suffering and conduct in light of full salvation is the first couple of chapters. The believer's life in light of a sevenfold position. I won't get into the sevenfold position here, but we'll look at that as we get to chapter, into chapter 2 and 3 and 4. There's seven, we have seven positions in Christ, and each one has an impact on our lives. And then finally, chapter 5 will wrap up Christian service in the light of the coming of our chief shepherd. And the second letter of uh, Peter will be especially precious in view of our eschatological perspectives. Okay, so let's jump in and pick up some of this before we lose our hour here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, this is a bold statement of apostolic authority. It's supported both by internal evidence in the text and also by its early and universal acceptance as part of the canon of Scripture. There are many other documents in the New Testament that have some arguments about them. There are very few about this epistle. It's pretty clearly Peter's, a lot of evidence that we don't have to beat that one to death. To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, those are Gentile regions, but to whom is this letter written? Okay. In accordance with the Lord's instructions, Peter seeks to feed the scattered sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he was charged to do. And his primary focus is to the scattered sheep of the house of Israel. Those are Jews in the diaspora. These areas that are listed here are areas that we, we consider here north of the place called Palestine and Syria and south of the Black Sea, the region you and I know as Turkey primarily. Asia Minor is a Roman provincial designation for a piece of geography that today bears the name pretty much of, of uh, is what we call Turkey. Scattered the, to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, the word scattered in the Greek is diasporus. It has a special meaning to the Jewish Christians in those churches. The diaspora referred to Jews who were separated from their homeland. And this is a term used here well in advance of the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's still forthcoming. Because uh, uh, James is still alive. He gets killed in 62. So this is in the first, you know, a couple of decades of, of, of the church history here. Continuing verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace, and be multiplied. Now if we were making a career of, of this, we could spend hours on this verse. Because each one of these phrases is a springboard to very, very profound theological issues. 
Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now we've had some background on that already. I'll touch on it here in a minute. But we will also be dealing with it further as we get later in this chapter and in the subsequent chapters. The concept of election. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, elect, election, choose, chosen are essentially synonymous. To choose of either divine or human choices, those same terms are used. But we are encountering here a paradigm of divine volition, God's own will. Why? Because he, first of all, has foreknowledge. From that foreknowledge, he can do an election, and that election will result in a predestination. Foreknowledge determines election, in other words. Predestination brings to pass the election, and election looks back to foreknowledge. In other words, that which is elected is taking advantage of God's foreknowledge. But that, that election, um, uh, it brings to pass the predestination. And all of that, of course, looks forward to destiny. Those are the Greek terms. It's actually not a problem when you look at, when you realize that you're dealing here with, by the acts of someone who's outside the constraints of time. Inhabits in eternity. So he knows in advance what's going to happen. So that foreknowledge allows him to elect, which causes it predestined destiny to take place. So that should take the mystery out of those terms. But there are some formidable issues that emerge there that we've talked about in the past. There's corporate election. Israel was chosen. And the church. Do you realize there's no other nation on the planet Earth that was chosen? You can list all the nations on the planet, or 70 of them, as listed in, in, the, in the, the table of nations of Genesis 11. Only one, that was, only one chosen by God was Israel. The other corporate designation is the church. Elements, of course, from the other 70 nations. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.